Jesus calls Levi. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees went and saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors. They said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you, Rob. Um, we're going to go into our sermon today as we continue in this series, looking at some different ways Jesus, in his own words, called people to follow him. But before we do that, I want to give us a time to pray corporately together. Um, unless you've been hiding under a rock, or for some of you that's called school, but um, there's just a lot going on in our nation right now. Uh, a lot going on, just even um, in our own city last night, if you didn't hear the news, another shooting. It's just a tragic shooting. Um, and this is happening all over our nation. It's happening right in our, our next door, but it's also happening all over. Um, shootings in malls, obviously. Um, for our, for um, our black brothers and sisters, it's a tremendously difficult time in our country right now. And again, you can argue the politics all you want. This is not the place for that. You can argue reasons all you want. But the very fact that people are losing their lives should be enough that makes us cry out to God. Amen? Whatever you believe about the other underlying reasons, the very fact that there are people um, who used to have a husband, who used to have a father, who used to have a son, and they do not any longer on this earth should make our hearts weep as people who follow Jesus. Simple as that. Simple as that. So I'm going to ask us right now to stand together and pray. Just for a moment. And, and obviously, if you're part of our church, you know we believe in much more. If it just ends and all we do is pray, I mean, that's good. But we, we, we believe we're called to go out and live out these things. But we also believe we pray because this is my belief. You might disagree. I believe ultimately the, the need for our nation is for God. I believe we need God. As simplistic as that sounds, that's why we do what we do. Every new person who follows Jesus wholeheartedly with their life, we believe, is one more person who's going to make a difference. That's why we do what we do. So if you want to join me in this posture as we pray, if you can look up here for a second, if you, with your hands kind of this way, palms up to God in a receiving, saying, Lord, we need you. Lord, send your spirit to do something that no matter how many lawmakers or educational policies or initiatives, and we believe in all those things, but ultimately we need you, Lord, to show mercy upon us. Forgive us as a church that we have not really cared if it hasn't directly affected us and move our hearts. Lord, we need you. So join me right now in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we uh, pray, 
God, this is a hard time for many. And um, I pray in, in your spirit, you would make it a hard time for us as well. We confess it's just too easy to be removed. But Lord, whatever um, the color of our skin, whatever our perspective on law enforcement, whatever our perspective on immigrants, all of that, Lord, would you unite us if we follow Jesus to have a heart of empathy just because of the very fact that people made in the image of God have lost a life for whatever reason. So move our hearts, Lord. And we pray, God, you would, you would shake our nation. You would use even these things to wake us up. Wake the church up, Lord. Fix our eyes on you again, God. We cry out for healing. And Lord, start with our own hearts, God. Start with our own city. So we, we cry out to you, Lord, in need. And move us, God, to prayer but also to action. We thank you that these things are not beyond you, Lord. We thank you that you are not intimidated by what's happening. You're not, you're not shaking your head wondering what's going to happen. Lord, you know. And even if we don't, Lord, we cry out to the God who's in control and pray you would reveal and, and reveal your people of righteousness, Lord, all throughout this country. We need you. We thank you, Lord, that you have not given up. And we love you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, well, we're, we're digging in. Today's sermon is actually along these same ideas of why we do what we do. Um, as we continue the series and as our brother Rob read for us. And we're going to just pick this apart little piece by piece, starting in Mark chapter 2, uh, starting verse 13. Let me read the first couple of verses there again. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He, and this is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And if you would read earlier in this chapter, and I would encourage you to do that, Bible, open source, tremendous book, you see that Jesus is in this port city of Capernaum, and he's rock star. He's at TMZ level. If he were living today, everyone would have their sellies out, taking pictures of him, taking cell phone videos, putting on Instagram, Snapchat. And he's walking by the Sea of Galilee when we read the encounter here that he has with this tax collector, Levi, who most people believe to be Matthew. Um, who had his name changed, symbolizing that his life was transformed by Jesus. And some of you, if you've been to enough church, you know the whole deal on tax collector. You know when the preacher comes up and starts saying tax collector, that's like, dun, 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 if we had a soundtrack here, right? You know, these are the bad guys. They're most likely working, he was most likely working for Herod Antipas. And his father, if you remember the birth of Jesus, his father Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., And when he died, he divided his kingdom into three different sections to his sons, Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip. So today's setting Capernaum, this would be the last town that you would go through if you're traveling east from Antipas' land into Philip's, or it would be the first one if you were going the other way into Galilee. Um, Basically, it'd be like today, if you're crossing the state border, like say from Maryland to Delaware, you've got to pay a toll to cross uh, cross those uh, barriers. The thing is, as this is going on, there are probably people who can still remember, because they were alive, that there was a day when you could travel these roads for free. You could cross and there was no one collecting taxes. But now, under the Roman authority, you had this government in place was saying, you're going to have to give us some money to cross here. Um, so for someone like Levi, when we say tax collectors are bad dudes, why is because he had made a bid. 
he had basically contracted in advance that he would collect these taxes. And every particular town had their own tax collectors. He would take the taxes. But here's here's the shady part. On top of what the Roman government would need, he would collect much more. And everything on top was his. Everything on top was his. So you know why people, they don't like this guy. Because tax collectors at Levi, they were considered to be some of the worst people around. They were lumped in with thieves, with murderers. You would be disqualified as a judge because you had no honor. You could not uh, testify in court. You were expelled from synagogue. You were not allowed to worship because you were a disgrace to your family. You've heard probably about lepers, people with this skin disease that made them unclean. Um, the law said you would be considered unclean in the same way if a tax collector touched you. Same kind of effect on you. If, if you were a good law-abiding Jew, you were forbidden to receive money from a tax collector because the assumption was that money came from thievery. So it'd be like getting stolen goods. You weren't supposed to do that. Um, it was even considered okay to lie to a tax collector. <laughs> they actually said, it's okay. You should not bear false witness. But against a tax collector, that's okay. I mean, any Torah or law-conscious Jew would have nothing to do with a tax collector. On top of it all, um, probably what made them most unseasonable is that the, these guys, they were just considered to be, be molds for their own people, for this Roman foreign occupation. So think about the scenario again, taking all that in. Jesus, rock star, right? Rock star. And the passage we read um, all the people were coming to him. Yo, if Jesus' goal was to get as many people to follow him and be as popular with the masses, he didn't need to do anything else. He already had that going on here. But in the midst of that, he reaches out to this guy and probably the last guy that his followers and anyone else would imagine him. Because you need to understand, when you hear about Jesus reaching out, most of us are, oh, that's great. People were not looking to say, oh, would you look at that, Jesus? Oh, man, that's why I love Jesus, reaching out to the poor tax collector. No one else likes him, but Jesus does. Oh, praise you. Let's sing a praise song. That's not what's going on here. If anything, this was a blow to Jesus' reputation. This did not make him look any better in people's eyes because it's bringing Jesus in contact with someone who would make him unclean. The difference is if you got unclean by touching a leper, for instance, um, They didn't choose to be a leper. This guy chose to be a tax collector. He knows exactly what he's doing, and yet Jesus went to him. I'm also guessing as offensive as this was, it's kind of funny, because a lot of Jesus' followers, we read this a few weeks ago, right? They're fishermen. And um, if you're a fisherman, if you were, this was a major trade route, if they had done any kind of business here, most likely their catch would have been taxed as well. So we don't know, for instance, uh, for sure, because it doesn't say here, but there's a good chance that, like, Peter and, and John and those guys, they would have, like, known this cat. They would have known, yo, Jesus, seriously? That guy, he's the one who taxed us. If it didn't happen to them, they would know others probably who had. And, and if we look at, if you know anything about Jesus, you know what, what we see today, this was not out of the ordinary, but this is actually very typical of his mission. That Jesus went out of his way to purposely reach out to the outcast, to the unlovable, to the hopeless. Another way that we can maybe describe it is Jesus was a friend of sinners. He loves sinners. He loves jacked up people. He loves the people everyone else thinks is a scrub, is, is horrible. To those that no one else would have anything to do with, Jesus extended love 
grace, mercy, and forgiveness. No wonder. Have you thought about why does this guy just get up and leave everything to follow Jesus? Because probably no one had ever treated him like that. This guy that everyone else thought was a pariah, Jesus loved him. No wonder he's going to drop everything when he says, follow me. He's like, heck yeah, I'm going to follow him. Um, A few observations we can make from this as we look at Jesus' call of Levi. One, no one is beyond hope. No one is beyond hope. Again, you need to recognize Levi was not a likely candidate for salvation. He was not like a top ten list of those people that we would hope received the love of Jesus, um, let alone become one of Jesus' first main disciples. I mean, this is crazy. But, but just like with Levi, God saves the people you and I consider unsavable. The people that you and I think are lost causes, they're found in him. Um, and I want to be very clear. We are a church that thinks it's important, particularly among our younger people, we want to teach ourselves what does it mean to make good choices. We believe that's wisdom. We believe it's wisdom to know if you make these kind of choices in life, your life will probably head in a better direction. And that's good. And we want to affirm that. But guys, we need to be crystal clear. God loves the people who make good choices. But God also can love those who make the worst choices in the world. And that's some of (laughs) y'all. That's the reason you're sitting here, because the reason you're in this room, the reason you've heard about Jesus, because you've made some jacked up choices in your life. If you had a rewind button on, you're like, I'm going to do some Doctor Who and go back and change that joint. But but that's not how God works. God says, the ways you jacked up your life, bring that to me, because you're not beyond my redemption. You are not beyond my hope. Stop. Repent. Stop doing what you're doing. Receive my love and my grace. And, and we gotta, we got to understand that just like with Levi, Jesus can save those who've made the worst possible choice in the world. Amen? Another thing we can learn here, we don't know what God is doing in the secret area of another person's life. We don't know what God is doing in the secret area of another person's life. Because when we look at Levi, when he followed Jesus, as much as, if we're going according to what the Word tells us here, what the Bible tells us, it doesn't seem like this was expected. I mean, we don't know here, but it seems like it's totally out of the blue and, and sudden. It does not look like Levi was in a secret room by himself and he's actually reading like a Tim Keller book on how you can know Jesus. And, and you know, he's like sitting there. He's like, man, I just wish someone would come tell me about Jesus because I'm just waiting for that. And boom, here comes Jesus. Follow me. Yes, that's what I've been waiting for. It doesn't seem like it seems like he was just in his life. Just doing what he's doing, totally oblivious about God. But in a moment, God changes his life. And, and I want to give you encouragement to not lose heart over those who ha- seem to have absolutely no interest of things of God at all. Maybe it's your family member. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's your classmate. Maybe it's your neighbor. May- maybe it's the guy on the corner. Whoever it might be, some of us look at certain people and say, yeah, you know what, God is God. I mean, I know he made everything, but yeah, that person's unsavable. That'll never happen. That's on un- no way. Because God sees what you and I cannot see. In our small eyes of flesh where we see savable, unsavable, redeemable, unredeemable, God said, oh, I can work with that. I-, I can do something with that. There doesn't have to be stages. And we, we affirm stages and steps. We believe there's a journey. All that cool language, we affirm that. But God doesn't need that. God can move in an instant. And again, some of you testify to that. 
I think one, one more thing that maybe we can learn that this story teaches us is that we're called to extend the same grace and invitation to God's love to those who you and I actually might not like in normal situations. What this reminds us is God's love is not just for those people who you and I feel bad for. Because let's be honest, we all got a category of certain people, no matter how jacked up they are, our heart feels bad for them. Oh, wow, they've been through rough family situations. Oh, wow, they're from the city. Oh, wow, they're in a certain um, um, socioeconomic group. Oh, wow, they really need Jesus. They do, every single one of us. But the scandal of the gospel is God does not just love the people that you and I think need God's love. He need every, He talking about everyone. Even the people that make your skin crawl. I don't know if we're allowed to talk like that in church because we're supposed to be all holy and pious, right? And we say, oh, yeah, every, we love everyone. No, you don't. <laughs> Let's just be real. No, you don't. Because what we're talking to here, God loves the racist. God loves the bigot. God loves the sexist. God loves the deviant. Whatever that means. We all got a definition of that, right? God loves the atheist. And, and this is offensive. I, I, it sounds like good theology, but this is really offensive. And I remember even a few years back, uh, maybe I wasn't careful enough with my words, but I threw out in the middle of a sermon, you know what? God loves God, that terrorist out there. That, that guy needs the love of Jesus as much as your kid does. You're cute, chubby, little. They, they both need Jesus equally. And one parent got ticked at me. They're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's offensive. You need to take that back. I said, oh, yeah, sure, I can take it back, but we got the word of God. And I'll be clear, I'm not saying the degree of sin is the uh, same. The effects of the sin might not be the same at all. But our standing before God, we're reminded the scandal of the message of Jesus is that none of us is able to stand on our own two feet based on our own righteousness. We are all in need of help. It's not like some of us need, oh yeah, you needed like 90% of Jesus' blood sacrifice. Oh, you're pretty good. You need like 20. Oh, you are like Pope status. You need like two. You need a little, but you don't need that much. No, we are all in desperate need of the message of Christ to save us. Amen? Because the heart of Jesus is not just for the people that move your heart to compassion. It's for the people that might make you wretch when you think about them. Who do you consider unsavable? Let's just make this real. Who do you consider unsavable? Who do you consider unredeemable? Ask God to give you a heart to see those people with his eyes and not your own eyes. Right now, just for 10 seconds, ask God, Lord, Man, when I think about this person, I don't see any way that they would follow you. Take a moment right now say, God, soften my heart. Give me eyes to see the way you do. So let's move on in the story here. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And guys, in these few verses here, we see Jesus' mission strategy. As he's told Levi to follow him, it sounds like they're about to head out on an adventure, like a mission trip. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm thinking, yo, if I found someone like Levi and he had just been jacked up and I said, follow Jesus, and now he's following yo, let's go out find some opportunities to do ministry. Let's go and do like a block party or let's go do a preaching revival or let's go out and do ministry. Um, what happens? They throw a party. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I can dig this. They throw a party. What does he say? Throw a party, Levi. Invite everyone you know, Levi. And as we notice from those who are there present, it's not just the religious people who wanted to be with Jesus, um, but it's actually the very unspiritual people who would never be shown in a synagogue. He's saying, yo, invite your friends, because we're going to assume Levi had no other friends except for these other dudes. Invite them. Bring them to the party. Folks who might never come to worship. And we see here this word reclining. It describes Jesus' reclining. This is really significant, and sometimes it's missing in some of the English translations of the original word here. But reclining is significant because it's saying Jesus was not just making an appearance. He was not just doing the good Messiah thing and say, okay, well, I'm the friend of sinners and I love broken people. So I will show up to demonstrate to my followers how it is to love broken people. Hi, guys. I am Jesus, the Messiah. He's not. He's reclining. He's there for a whole meal. And these cats, they don't joke around when they eat. They're there for hours. Reclining. Notice that there's also um, just this absence of a message of repentance here at the party. Jesus, it doesn't seem like he's pulling a, okay, well, let's throw a party. And then like halfway through, right before dessert comes out, because no one wants to miss dessert, let's throw out the sermon, right? And we'll give an invitation kind of. We'll give out a card for people to fill. I mean, it doesn't seem like we see anything like that described. It doesn't seem that Jesus eats with these people, these sinners, on the condition that they changed their life. And that if you're going to sit here with me, yo, you better forsake your wickedness and follow me. Rather, he's choosing to recline and eat with them because they don't follow him. That because they don't know him, that's why he's choosing to recline with them and be with them so that they might experience his love. The scandal of the story, it's that Jesus, he doesn't make moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. Simply, he doesn't tell people, y'all need to change, so I'll hang with you. Rather, Jesus loves tax collectors and sinners as they are. He goes to them in their state. I think there's just some tremendous lessons for us as a church to glean from this. It it explains our mission as the village. Um, The way we view church, and and if you've been part of here for a while, hopefully none of this is new, right? The way we view church, I love Sundays. I love when we come here to gather, and not just because this is my job. I, I love this. I genuinely love when we all come together and we bring our different experiences. We sing the songs and we hear the sermons and we pray and it's wonderful. But guys, you need to understand this is not the end goal in and of itself. I mean, worship of God is the end goal, but this particular expression of it is not necessarily the end goal. The reason we do this, this is not the battle. This is like boot camp. Well, why we come here is that we believe every single one of you have been called to certain areas and segments of the city and beyond. That God, in designing who you are, has said in 2016, Bobby is going to be going to school in this place in Baltimore. And Sally has moved here for work in 2016. And Jim, he's going to start a family in Baltimore and they're going to raise kids right now. You are exactly where you were intended to be. 
And our goal is that as we gather here together, we receive the good news of Jesus. We receive the gospel. It penetrates us. It, it, it just it, it wrecks us so that we send y'all back out again. This is not the end. This is like a launching pad. And all of you, wah, wah, sending you all around the city in the power of God. So what that means is that how, how do we measure what, what a follower of Christ is? It's like reading the Bible. I think that's good, important. It's, it's prayer. Those are very important things. How many memory verses? I mean, tremendous stuff. But here's, guy, how would, I would also measure are we following Christ? How many people are you hanging out with this week that don't know Jesus? How many times in your Google calendar that's like all blue or all pink or however you do it, how many times have you spaced out in there? This is when I spend some time with people who don't know Christ. This is the one lunch a week, even though I'm like a major introvert and lunchtime is my time to hide in my car and sleep. This, this one time a week, I've set it out. This is where I'm going to go to lunch with some of my coworkers. Or this one night, um, you know, even though I am dead tired, I just want to go, I'm going to go out to happy hour tonight with some of my people I work with. If you're not 21, strike that last one. <laughs> Let's not break the law to be on mission here. That's not what we're about. Basically, how many people are you sharing your time with? How many people are you breaking bread with? And y'all think I'm joking when I always talk about food as a holy mission. It's not just God I like to eat. I believe it's biblical. We're talking about having a great banquet one day. I think that starts now. Do you know how many people, in our, and this might be some of you, how many people in our city eat their meals every night alone? Especially if they're new to a town. They don't got others. This is not to guilt us, but this is just to give us a reality check, say, that's one of the most ministry-ripe opportunities we have. And, and you got to hear me. This is so, what we have to recognize is mission is not just adding on a program to your life. And if you're from church, that's the way we view mission, right? Or view, we're like, okay, what can I do? What can I add on? What program can we do so we can be on mission? And that's great. And we do some of that. But I want to encourage you, mission is more than just a program you add to your life. It's living the life you already live with intention. So if you got a young family and you are weary and you are, you're like, yo, preacher man, I, there's no way I can add on another. I ain't coming to your outreach program. Cool. You just eat dinner and you invite some people that don't know Jesus and you already do what you're going to do anyway because I'm going to assume you're going to keep eating. And let people share in your life. Let people share in your life. Notice also here, Jesus, I love this. He's there not just with these sinners, but he's there with his followers too. And I can imagine his disciples like, yo, man, I thought we were going to follow Jesus and do some ministry and go fisher of men and all that. Why are we hanging out with these jacked up people? Because they're on the mission that Jesus is on. And, and I want to encourage you. It's a great reminder um, when you're doing these things, when you're living your life, when you're going out to grab coffee, when you're going out to the club, uh, and don't go crazy, but when you're going out to the concerts, when you're going to work out, when you're going to do all these different things, when you're going to eat, invite some other friends from the church with you. And as you just live your life and as you love your neighbor, maybe your neighbor will look at some of the people you come and say, oh, how y'all know each other? Oh, we go to church. Church? I thought y'all a bunch of backwater, like Bible thumping weird. You're, you're like, okay. I'd hang with you. And we start to show the life that we live in the delight of Christ and let his fragrance be the aroma that people would smell of life coming from us. So what's our mission strategy? Throw a party. <laughs> invite your friends, 
Share your life. Intentionally invest in those circles that God has placed you in. Guys, there are no accidents. This is my theology. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. God always has us in a place where he can work if we will sometimes just open our eyes and make ourselves available. And I don't know how this story came to mind as I was preparing, but this happened a long time ago. Probably, this is scary before some of you were born. This is when I was in college. And, and some of you heard my story. I didn't follow Christ very well in, when I was in college. I actually hated God in the church for a while. But I struggled with some guilt. And early on in college, I thought, well, I'm going to live for God as hard as I can. And I was so alone. I hated it, but I did it. And one night I said, you know what? Part of this Jesus thing is about talking about Jesus to people who don't know him. So I just went out. It was like a Friday or Saturday night. I just went out looking for someone to talk to. And I remember going to the library because I'm assuming, okay, there got to be someone going to the library tonight. I went to the library empty except for one dude sitting at a table. And I went up to him. I was like, and I was doing my awkward thing. I bust out my little tract. I, I awkward thing. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? He's like, um, seriously? I'm like, come on. It's just like five minutes. He's like, all right. I just went through this thing and awkwardly reading it. I didn't, I didn't even know what I was talking about, just awkwardly reading it. And I was like, so what do you think? You want to follow Jesus? He's like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Y'all think the story's going to end there, right? Just follow Jesus and go to the library for the poor soul that God has set. He said, no, nah, man, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Y'all a bunch of hypocrites. Why are you even doing this? You just want to guilt people into like change? I, I'm going to have nothing to do with this. So I left with my tail between my legs saying, okay, that's the last time I trust you, God. And I remember that summer, because that was right before summer, having a bad summer. I just totally went away from God. I just thought, this is all a sham, destructive life. And I remember coming back to school, and uh, about midway through the semester, I ran into the guy. It was hilarious. I ran into him. And I'm, like, doing stuff I shouldn't have been, but we ran into each other. He's like, yo, it's you. I'm like, yeah, you. <laughs> Whoever you are, you. He's like, remember? Remember when you came up to me last year and you shared about that stuff? Man, I just couldn't stop. I went home for the summer, and I couldn't sleep. So I started going to this church, and I heard about Jesus, and, and I, I, I'm a Christian now. I'm like, heck no, man. Who, who's, like, behind a curtain here? Seriously? And I remember, and it's as crystal clear as it was, you know, it's a couple years ago, but... Um, I remember feeling so, like, ridiculous because I wasn't walking with God. I felt very unprepared. And, and it reminds me even now, uh, this question, God, why would you use us? Because I scratch my head when I think of how God desires to change the world. I think it would just be much more effective if God just does like a quadruple rainbow in the sky or something. Or does like a circular rainbow or something just crazy. And tells everyone very clearly in a loud megaphone voice, yeah guys, it's God. It's me. Who else can do a circular rainbow? Follow me. And I think, man, that would just be so much more effective. But we know it wouldn't be because, you know, Jesus even said people ask, always ask for a sign. Signs don't change anything. But the way God desires and what's always been his plan is to use his people, to use his church, to, to use broken, jacked up people like you and me who've had our lives transformed, who've gone from sin and death to life and grace. And he uses us. He mobilizes us. Even over all of our weakness. Even all of our deficiencies. Even with all of our fear. He says, just follow me and go out. Just follow me. Just receive my love so that you have something to share with whoever you run into. And just love them. 
Serve them. Spend time with them. Tell them how much Jesus desires to share himself with them. How much Jesus dines with sinners. And that's why we as a church, that's why we're preparing Pastor B next year to go out and plant a church in our city. And, and I'm going to be very clear here. I want as many of you right now to start praying about that. You're going to hear a lot more about it in the next coming year. Pray about whether God would have you be part of a church, a new church in our city. But you need to be crystal clear about this. This is not a strategy for us to say, well, we've got a whole group of people from this side of town. And rather, maybe we can cut down like 10 minutes off their drive time and they can worship there instead. And then we can build like different sites and we can... This is not just to make things more comfortable for those who are already in the church. The goal is for those who don't know Jesus to have a place to find him. Because that's, that's, that's our story. Good number of you, this is the first church you've ever been in. This is the place where you first learned about Jesus and something happened to you. And we want to see story after story after story like that all throughout our city and beyond. So we need to proclaim Jesus the friend of sinners. But guys, that always starts with you. We, it always starts with knowing that, yeah, Jesus invites others, but he invites you to be his friend. He invites you to dine with him. And, and did you catch the irony of Jesus' statement to these Pharisees? They're offended. Like, yo, I thought he was a holy man. How can he be eating with some rabble here? Some people miss Jesus because they're too good. Some people miss out on Jesus because they're too moral. And, and I want to invite you that, to know this Jesus who chooses to recline with you, not when you are good, but when you're dirty. And he makes you clean. That ultimately, Jesus, he provided salvation by stretching out and reclining, not at a banquet table comfortably, but very uncomfortably on a thing called a cross, reclining in a way, stretched out, but vertical, hanging on this thing, dying so that you and I don't have to, so we can experience life. And this is amazing news for some of you who are here today because you don't need anyone to tell you you're far from God. You don't need anyone here to tell you you're broken. And if that's you, don't think that you have sinned too much. You will never out God's love. The power of Jesus' sacrifice on a cross is far stronger than the Olympic caliber level of sin that you can do. Some of you are gold medal caliber sinners. Jesus, like Usain Bolt, he Usain Bolt to your sin.